Hi, this is Marjorie Liu from New York Comic Con, and be sure to listen to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues, a conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. Every October for the last couple of years at Creator AfterCon, which is a meetup event over the weekend of New York Comic Con. So one of the running jokes is Jeff Ryder, a good friend and a frequent guest on the show. We often refer to him as the Tony Stark of comics. So with that said, uh, today's guest is the Scott Lang of comics. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds so right, though. I want to argue with you about, like, as, as, ter- as far as nicknames go, but I'm, I'm honestly having trouble with it. So I'm going to let it stand. I'm, I'm, a, I'm on board with this. I don't know. I dig it, and I mean that to be complimentary in like the best way possible. Oh, I only take it as a compliment. <laughs> There's all sorts of ways. Like you're the smallest person in comics, which I seems sort of accurate uh, a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> the funniest guy in comics. I mean, let's face it, Adrian. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Um, wow. <laughs> I came on way stronger in the beginning there than I wanted to. Let's also mention Jeff Ryder, the Tony Stark of comics, also has a Kickstarter live right now for the uh, Arcane Cocktail Enthusiast uh, issue too. Indeed. Well, you have your own Kickstarter um, that's already launched as of the 5th. So um, by the time this comes out, it'll be well into that campaign, which we will get into in a bit. But I do want to start a little bit back from your early work. Your 2015 anthology in Lawful Good, uh, your appearance in that anthology garnered you a pretty good buzz. And from there, you went on to curate your own anthology, 2017's Curio, which was referred to as the anti-thematic anthology. Yeah, and which uh, Heather Antos was actually nice enough to let me reprint my story from Unlawful Good in there, which was great. You also had been featured in 2018's Corpus, uh, which dated by Nadia Shamas, which was an anthology on physical and mental health. And speaking yep. of comics creators who have also been on the show, Adam Ferris, we talked about The Good Fight, taking a stand against racism and bigotry, which you've also been featured in. Hold on, is is Adam Ferris then the Steve Rogers of comics? Oh, this is a good call, and I wish you were oh, there. Oh, sh- Wait, are we cursing on this podcast? We're okay to curse. Oh, right? we can totally fucking curse on this right. podcast. <laughs> Thank fucking God. Okay. My son is right here. I'll just tell him to earmuff it. Hey, quiet, buddy. Okay. <laughs> he has heard me curse several. He knows he knows the words he's not allowed to say. Because he hears them frequently. Usually when I'm playing Overwatch. <laughs> if you don't well, first off, total aside, if you play Overwatch and you don't curse, you have anger issues. Yeah, and second of all, if you play Overwatch and you main as Reinhardt, get at me, at Ian underscore face, because I need some help, guys. <laughs> defense on the team. But that brings up a good question. So in this scenario, is he the Steve Rogers comments? You know what? I'm going to call it, because you know what? What I want to do is, and this is going to be great, so at Ian underscore face and at Asian has issues, I want to start a dialogue and get people really riled up about this, because I'm forming my own Avenger squad, so we've got you as Scott Lang. I'm so happy. I'm so I'm so here for this. We got Jeff as uh, Tony Stark, and now we're calling uh, calling Adam the Steve Rogers, so let, let's figure out how far we can go down the rabbit hole, and I want to see who throws their hat in the ring on this so anyone who's listening (laughs) all i'm gonna say is all i'm gonna say is i feel like whoever thor is it's definitely jane foster thor right i definitely have that feeling 
I feel like maybe Erica Schultz is like the Jane Foster Thor. I could totally see that. I don't know. Like, this is great. God, like, there's so many great picks now. Like, honestly, and I'm so bad. Like, I want to talk about your work, but we started a thing, and now I feel like we just have to roll down this hill. Well, I got to be honest. I've already moved past this. Now I'm thinking what Overwatch character of comics I am. I feel like I'm the Torbjorn of comics. Uh. And I, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do another episode later tonight just about Overwatch, right? We may have to just do that. We may just have to like record two of them back-to-back about Overwatch and how much I suck at it. There has not been a bad idea brought up on this podcast yet. And that is a good thing. But it's kind of funny that we mentioned Avengers and the idea of taking people from all different backgrounds and ideologies and having them work together for a common goal, which is a lot of what I feel anthology work is sort of like. I definitely agree. I've written since I was a a child, but it was always just like, you know, short stories and stuff like that. I I didn't really get into writing comics, you know, until after 2010 or once I started kind of reading comics heavily again in 2007. And the thing that I love about it is, is the collaboration. It's that like, I can take an idea and give it to someone and they can make it better. Right. Like, you know, every time I've got an art back for a, a comic, it's always looked better than it did in my head. It's an improvement upon my work. And then there's also that that back and forth, like we should do this panel like this, or we should change this page. And yeah, like let's make it better together. And even the the you know, help from everybody, editors, letters, colorists, like it's all it's all just such a great project because it brings all these people together. Right. And something that I also like to stress when it comes to comics, I know there's this discussion that sometimes happens about who has the toughest job and something I feel with comics and something that both anthologies and also with your new book and like just comics in general is that it's all collaborative. Everybody brings something to the table and yes, right. one person can do it, but everybody chips in, everybody does important work. So I just want to just stress it out there real quick and get on my soapbox for anybody who may feel otherwise, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's a, there's an entire back and forth and and I mean, I, I guess not to use kind of like an overworked metaphor, but you know, it's like a living, breathing thing and you have to, you have to take care of it. It's like you're, it's like you're raising it from, you know, zygote to, you know, full fledged entity and exactly. that's everyone's job. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, some things like actually raising a child, I think it's quite obvious that women do the heavy thing there. There's no argument, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a back and forth and there, there's definitely an ownership to the whole thing that, that rests with the responsibility of everybody. And like my whole thing about creating comics is, you know, I've, I've worked in like the restaurant industry for, for 20 some years now. And, you know, feedback is important and like negative feedback, hearing you're doing great is awesome, but hearing what's wrong, like good critical feedback, man, like it really, really just helps. And that's what I tell like everybody working on the project is like, if there's something you don't like, like even down to the letters, like if you, it's like, Hey, like this sentence reads weird or this line reads weird. Like, please raise your hand and say something. You know, I want to know that stuff before we finish it. I never want anyone to go, well, that was on him. Let's all hold each other accountable. That's why I love anthologies, not only because it gives you a a nice taste of so many different works, and it's a a great way to find out about creators that you may not have heard of, or maybe you already know of, and just putting together this great collection. And seeing as how you've worked on so many of them, it's safe to say that, you're someone who obviously is a team player and loves working with a team on a common goal. Yeah. I, I love working with a team. We should get everyone else on my teams here to see what they think. Cause I, I hope that I'm good to work with, but you know, I, I don't know. I could be a real jerk. 
Um, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm very nice and I apologize a lot. So I, I'm trying to do my best. I want to make the best book possible. I want to make the best short story possible. And I've done very well by listening to people who know more than me. And it's like, if the artist wants to tell me that something doesn't look right, like I'm going to trust him because I'm going to trust that he knows more about how things should look than I do. And same thing for the colorist and the letterer. And I, I feel, I feel like it's worked so far. And matter of fact, I know this was this was last year Comic Con where you had a teaser up for your comic Tomb of the White Horse. So yeah, so the the interesting story is is so what happened with uh, Tomb of the White Horse because I'm I'm sure I probably gave you a copy probably last year. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it like right now. That team has changed. So initially, when you know I had written the script and I had given it to a friend that does my edits by the name of Tony Keaton, um, who is like an incredible. Uh, He's like a film guy and a, a, a writer guy, and, and he's he's great. Follow him on Twitter at Wolves of Summer, by the way. So he he done a couple of revisions, and we had the book where we liked it, and we got it done, and we got some feedback on it, and the feedback was like mediocre to okay. They liked the idea. And then um, I happened upon an opportunity where Danny Lore was actually able to do a script edit for me and just kind of – you know, took a great idea and a, and a mediocre book kind of into like outer space. And um, so we ended up changing the whole script, which involved changing all of the page art. Um, and so we figured, you know, since we were scrapping, we were scrapping everything except the front cover, um, which is done by uh, the lovely Kim Mayette. Anyway, she's amazing. So we scrapped everything except the cover art, even the font on the cover we got rid of. Um, so we just decided that it was good for a fresh start. So we picked up Zach and Leslie. And so all of those pages in that book are gone. Um, oh, wow. You know, that it still represents, I think, a good idea of where the story is going. I mean, it, it hasn't changed in, in those respects. But yeah, that's kind of like a, a once like that like doesn't exist anymore. And that's it's just been such a long journey with this. Like I've probably been working on getting Tomb to Kickstarter for probably two years now. Just since I had the idea uh, to sharing it with Ben, to developing it, to getting the first ash can done. And then we reprinted the ash can to, to change some things and add a little bit to make it more like a pitch package that we, uh, we brought to C2E2 in March and then getting the script edit, re like redoing the script and um, getting a new version. I just got uh, the first page of colors from Leslie Atlansky tonight and they look fucking phenomenal and I'm super excited. So I'm, I'm really, we're, you know, cause usually this is the stuff that you have done by the time you launch your Kickstarter. Right. Um, we're, you know, we're starting right now and, you know, getting this stuff um, out so people can see it and generate a little bit more interest is key, but that's all, it's all kind of timeline based because this is a spooky book. And even though it doesn't feel like it, we're going into spooky season and I want to have the book in everyone's hands by Halloween. Which is kind of fascinating that you say that because I feel like it comes up sooner each year. People are already getting geared up for Halloween. I'm like, Look, right now, the scariest thing to me is the sun because it's too damn hot. Like, <laughs> I hadn't even started wearing hoodies yet. But like, the reason it the reason it feels like it's getting closer is because we are aging so, so rapidly, Adrian. We are. Um, like, we're getting nuts. so old. It's like we drank from the wrong grail in Last Crusade. <laughs> it is just, ugh. Like, I mean, look, like, I'm already stressing about November of next year. And it was like 13 months away. It's just like, ugh. You know, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, it's like you get, maybe it's just as you get older, you kind of gain foresight. You know what I mean? You're like, Ugh. I thought, you know, the stores don't help either. I'm sure Target's probably selling friggin' Halloween costumes right now. They're already passed back to school. They're like, no, no, it's, it's a month away where people are done with it already. 
Yeah, but I know people whose kids are like starting like next week. Like, what are we doing? Fuck yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you know what else is you know now? Okay, now that <laughs> or now that we're talking about the domestic suburban life stuff, so uh, we had so many snow days apparently that he needed to have like an extra makeup day at the end of the year, and I'm like, that's good. Like, hold him to it. The makeup day was like 90 minutes long. Like they what? bust him in at like 10 and then they got off at like 1230. And I'm like, what is, or oh, that's like two and a half hours. But I'm like, what is the, it's just like they, they needed to get him to school and like say like, are you here? All right. Could that counts as a day? No, get the fuck out of here. Go home. Enjoy your summer vacation. I'm surprised he even let him off the bus. I just would like park yeah, him. Right, yeah. Just school. drive him through. Hey, wave your hands. You're all here. Good. What's kind of dog and pony shit is this? Listen, if I'm getting up at 730 in the morning to get my kid on the bus, you are keeping him for eight hours. All right. I need to get some shit done. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, let's talk. So anyway, Tomb of the White Horse. It's an amazing, <laughs> it's an amazing Kickstarter, Adrian. And, uh, no, I just remember going on a similar rant with the kids because like there were like no snow days used, and then all of a sudden it's like they threw the counter off. I'm like, why are you bringing them home? Like they have more oh, to learn. They got, so they got you. Wait, wait, wait. You you guys got out early because they didn't use snow days. No, but like oh, okay. something got changed where like one of their vacations they had like an extra couple of days tacked on or something like that. And I'm like, that's not our problem. Like, <laughs> okay, real quick. And I know this is probably a lot of people, but it's so funny that like the way I feel when he's on summer vacation versus the way I feel when he's about to go back to school. It's this crazy. It's like, um, it's like every movie where like the two. Uh, that like the cop and the rookie don't get along at first. Right. And it's like, they're just sick of being around one another. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, they can't be apart. And the guy decides not to retire. So he can hang out with his rookie partner. Now Aww. it's just like at the first like week of summer vacation, I'm like, uh, it's like, you're just like, I have no time to myself. And then the last couple of weeks of, of summer vacation, I'm giving them those long looks and like tearing up. I'm like, I'm going to miss you, man. This will always just be the relationship. As long as we're in school, probably long into college at this point. Yeah, but it's so nice to not have to do homework. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, do help him do his homework. <laughs> I don't do his homework. Don't call to, I don't do my kids' homework, just so we're aware. I, I'm pretty sure that's not going to be the reason why, like, your comics career suffers. Like, <gasps> shocking revelations. A kid <laughs> monster helps his kid with his homework. Oh, I was working on subject predicate. I couldn't finish Tomb. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> but speaking of spooky season in this cover, which I will admit, just full stop. When it comes to horror, I'm an absolute baby. Um, just to kind of give some sort of a preface to that, um, I just found out that they're developing a TV series that might be based off of Event Horizon. And Ooh. I almost threw my phone across the room because the picture they used to sell the story was the very mangled face of um, Sam Elliott. Or Sam Sa no, Sam Neil rather. Sam oh, Neil. That's Thank right. You. That's right. And I almost just threw my phone to the toilet and tried to flush it. I'm like, nope, don't need that. So, <laughs> but at yeah. the same time, I love that movie and I'm well, very excited. <laughs> then, then you're gonna hate this book, man. Or you're I'm gonna, gonna love it. it. That's the point. Yeah, no, I I hope you love it. There were there were so many things that I set out that like I wanted to do. I mean, there's so many things in horror that I like, and um, there are so many. Not and I, I always feel like you know tropes is such a like a, a bad word. There's such there's so like it's like a like negative connotations to it. But there's so many horror themes, let's say, that I want to explore uh, with this series and that I want to do in the four issues. And I and I feel like I nailed some of it. And and a lot of that I feel is just is paying homage. You know what I mean? And and I'm not paying homage to specific things, but I am paying homage to like specific feelings, right? Like 
I've for some reason had this conversation a lot in the past couple of weeks, but like, uh, like top five favorite movies. And I don't really know what they are. I mean, I know some of them, but like, I feel like John Carpenter's the thing is probably in my top five. Uh, it, it has to be like, I, I won't accept anything else. Sorry, horror fans, but it's just, it's just law. And I don't mean just top five horror movies. I'm honestly like top five of all time. Okay. I just, I, I absolutely love that film. I've seen it, you know, 25, 30 times. The feeling of isolation in that movie and these kind of confined spaces, I really dig that. And and that definitely echoes in in we have, you know, we have three guys in a kind of a remote warehouse distribution center. Um, and there's an unexpected blizzard that's coming in, and these guys work the night shift. And just that kind of like, hey, like we're alone. There's no one around for miles, and there's no help coming if we need it, and there's no way to leave if we want to leave. You know, and I know that this is, you know, kind of basic scene setting for a, um, you know, for horror movies. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. To me, it was like I, I, I really wanted to kind of in, uh, encapsulate that feeling. And what was great was um, some of the people we're working with, um, uh, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Ahmad Rafat who's uh, doing a print for us at one oh, of our nice. reward levels. I love Ahmad's art. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, dude, I'm super stoked. I, I want to get into all of that, too, because there's so many great people helping out with this besides the actual team. But um, his print is almost kind of thing inspired, I would say, in a way. And like that wasn't me directing him to do that. That was his kind of take on the subject material. And I'm like, this is perfect. Like, it really makes me feel good when, you know, people are taking the, the cues that like I've kind of set up and like, like, oh, this is this is what this book makes me feel like. Because I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I fucking had in mind. You know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm doing I'm communicating effectively, I guess. Um, but yeah. Because well, yeah. and, and, it's like, if you're not excited, then what's the point? Yeah. And, and the, the great thing is, is like the excitement of getting this together. And, and we, we've had a tremendous like uh, first two days, um, you know, we're I think currently right now we're like maybe 200 shy of 50 percent. Um, nice. And that's yeah, and that's like in the first 48 hours. And that feels great. And like that excitement is really like I, I have a, a whiteboard uh, and like screwed into the wall vertically next to my, my desk in my office. And I have all of these these kind of reference notes of like things that I want to do for the follow up issues. Um, and I and I have a rough script written for the next one, but it's going to change because like I've I've really kind of decided that like, you know, communicating in this way, like taking what I like, you know, themes that I like and emotions that I like from certain movies, and uh, kind of paying homage to that by in kind of injecting that into what I want to do is it feels like it works, it feels good, and um, I'm gonna keep doing it until someone tells me to stop. <laughs> well, stop. Well, don't actually. Until stop the it. Lord tells me to stop. No, I don't. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that at all. Um, but yeah, I come to realize now that you're talking about the thing, and to me, with horror, it's a complicated relationship because, as much as I'm like easily terrified, I am not big when it comes to like, let's say, jump scares. Oh, Those yeah. like my anxiety cannot handle it, but. When it comes to, like, to me, what I feel like is good horror is something that sets a mood. Like, something that's just very tense where the crux of, of the story hasn't even kicked off yet, but you're already in that place, which is what, when you mention the thing, does perfectly. Is, like, from the moment that movie starts, you're right. already just in the shit, so to speak. Like, you're already just in it. So, by the time once, like, the real shit kicks off, at that point, it's like, look, I'm already scared, so you're just cranking it up but the real terror is basic existence <laughs> you know the the whole and i mean obviously that's part of of john carpenter's score and stuff like that you know i mean he does he does uh, such a, a setting of a scene so well um but in, in reference to jump scares and stuff like that yeah like there's there's probably equally 
an amount of, of terror tropes or, or themes that like I hate. Um, and there's, there's lots of horror movies that I, you know, let's say I just, I find, you know, completely appalling and I'm not going to, you know, call them out here. I don't want to inspire debate, but there's just, there's stuff that I, I was not trying to go for. And I, and I think ultimately, right. Like jump scares are cheap and easy. And a lot of times you can see them coming. Like if you've watched enough horror movies, like you kind of are getting ready for them, like before they happen, you know, there's that, like that fake out scare where it's like, you know, there's a noise coming from the cabinet. She opens up the cabinet. Oh, and the cat's in the cabinet. And you're like, oh, thank God. But then the guy's hand comes through the window and shit like that. Um, right, exactly. Right. Like that kind of stuff is just cheap. And I mean, ultimately, like, you know, we're we're all adult humans. And it's like, no one's going to watch a Friday the 13th movie and go home at night and think that Jason is waiting for them in their house. I mean. Uh, oh, really? Like, that's okay. Because I mean, I'm like, I, you know, that's the thing about movies. It's like, I like, I know it's not real. But. But like having said that, like the best thing a horror movie can do is creep you out. Like it can leave you with questions unanswered or it can make you think about like, you know, like at the end of the thing, like, you know, is, is Kurt Russell really an alien? And is he just waiting to fall asleep? You know, all of this, all of this kind of stuff that, uh, that, you know, and I mean, a perfect example, of course, is the shining, you know, the shining leaves you with more questions unanswered than answered. And that's what makes it so scary because it's the feeling that you take with you. Right. And it's like that fear of the unknown. Yeah. And that's, I think what I struggled with the most. And that's what I, I mean, I hope I nailed with, you know, the script for Tomb of the White Horse is just that like, I, I want to answer things, but I also don't want to answer things. And I, and I want to leave some of that stuff, you know, uh, especially like what would happen after the end of the story. Um, you know, and, and I, I want people to leave with that. Ooh, like that's creepy. Like I, you know, you leave with that kind of clammy, uncomfortable feeling of like, Oh, that's weird and, and dark and, and, uh, and it makes me wonder about what else would happen next. Uh, and that's, I feel like that's the hardest balance to strike in a horror book because it's like, when do you reveal stuff? How do you reveal stuff? How do you, you know, ratchet up the terror and, and how do you, you know, uh, successfully increase gradually, you know, the, the terror that your, uh, your characters are feeling. Right. Which is why like, and, you know, looking over the sample art that you have on a Kickstarter page, and while Benjamin Philby's work is just astounding, and especially his work with the ex facial expressions, to me, what gets me excited is just how expressive they are. So that way, like, once they start experiencing these things, you know, like, that sense of terror and foreboding will really come through in the artwork. Yeah, that's super important to me, man. It's one of those things where a lot of the notes I've got, you know, about my scripts are to not overwork the panel and allow the writer to do a lot of that. And I, and I feel that obviously has a lot to do with your relationship with your artist, right? Like Ben and I talk quite frequently. So my script for tomb of the white horse is super bare bones. You know what I mean? Because we've talked about the story enough that like, I think we can see the movie in our heads and he has the shots that he has. And I'm just basically communicating, Hey, Here's who's in the scene. Here's what they're doing. But all, most importantly, like here are their facial expressions, you know, because that to me is very, very important. And, and if it might not always come across just in the dialogue and it, it's important to, to be able to like see what's happening on their face. So, I mean, I obviously like I'll gush about Ben's art for the next hour, but yeah, I mean, his facial expressions are, um, are awesome. Yeah. And the page that we have colored now that we'll be putting up is the preview page that we have on the Kickstarter. Because then I was also looking at Leslie Alinsky's stuff, which I'm also a big fan of and who's um, collaborated a lot with uh, another friend of the show, Mario Candelario, which Mario, if you're listening, what up? <laughs> hey, Mario. By the way, check out Mario's. Uh, Mario just posted a comedy short that he wrote or helped write, I guess, on YouTube. Oh, and I was just funny. watching that. It was hysterical. It's really well done. And, you know, I think a big thing with, with comedy is editing. And I thought the editing was done really, really well. It was really well paced where 
I had enough questions and the payoff came just at like the perfect moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, I was a big fan. Yeah. Mario's a great writer. Which I almost want to feel like now that we mentioned Mario, I was like, shoot, uh now I'm thinking more Avengers. Um, if I say Hawkeye, like I wonder if he'll be pissed at me. <laughs> Who's the best dressed Avenger? Oh, that's a tough question. Who is the best dressed Avenger? Um, uh, let's see. I don't know. I don't know. See, now I'm trying to go back <laughs> into like, the back catalog. Maybe of... he's like, maybe, you know, maybe we need it. Cause he's a, he's a very LA dude, right? Like he, you know, I know he, he's been to LA a couple of times. Maybe we need a West coast Avengers and maybe he needs to be like wonder man or some shit. Nah, well see, I would say wonder man, but like a cooler version of far cooler version of wonder man. But well, see, yeah, like... not, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of, okay. Yeah. yeah. To be clear, to be fair, there are a lot of negative <laughs> connotations to, uh, Wonder Man that I don't mean to imply. I just, I oh, mean, no, like, not at he's all. like, yeah. But I'm trying to think of like other West Coast Avengers because I'm like Moon Knight, uh, Mockingbird. Um... Yeah, Hawkeye was a West Coast Avenger. So that kind of You know what? I, I'm going to call Hawkeye. The West I'm Coast gonna, Hawkeye. <laughs> I'm going to call Hawkeye until, until he tells me otherwise. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll hear from him. <laughs> oh, man. Either we're going to lose so many friends, we're going to gain like thousands of them. He will post a picture of himself wearing a Hawkeye shirt. And it will be all we need to know. It will be our tacit agreement. But I think if I'm going like strictly by like movie adventures, I'm going to go Hawkeye. Okay. <laughs> Roger that. I mean, I'm not going to argue. This is, this is your, you're the Nick Fury of this team. So. Oh, sweet. Holy shit. You are the Nick Fury of the team because you're the one who like brings everyone together. Oh Lord. Uh, oh, that's that's either a good or bad thing because, um, well, shoot, maybe I shouldn't say that because possible spoilers. But... You were about to spoil <laughs> everyone's seen far from it. It's made a billion dollars. Listen, hold on. <laughs> Nick, guys, Nick Fury's a scroll. If you haven't seen Far From Home, that's on you. All right? It's, it's a billion dollars. A billion dollar is the spoiler cutoff limit. At this point, it's your fault. I'm sorry. Is that? No. I just he hasn't want... been a scroll for that long. He was actually Nick Fury at Iron Man's funeral. Also, spoiler alert for the highest grossing movie of all time. <laughs> all right. You have officially earned your Scott Lang card. I'll be doing a, I'm doing a set at Zany's tomorrow night. <laughs> Come check me out to your waitress. Oh, but massive shout out to Leslie though, because like her colors. I mean, yeah, I just, I'm sorry, yeah, I, I just sent you the page that I was sent earlier tonight, and um, I'll let you bask in the glory of Leslie's stuff. Her lighting is amazing. It really is. I'm really blown away. And between like stuff with Mario, and um, I was actually looking at like the Amazing World of Gumball uh, graphic novel oh, yeah, yeah. of a boom, and it's just like it's magnificent stuff. She was an unlawful good as well. I think she's awesome. We got a chance to hang out at uh, Emerald City uh, the one year, and she's just super charming, and she's funny, and she's a, an amazing colorist. And um, oh, the only member of the team I haven't met in person is Ben, and that, that's because he lives in the UK, and I've never been there. And as you can imagine, it's not easy to cross an ocean. In this day and age, can you imagine? I mean, that's it's pretty a, far, though. It is far. It is far, but um, I'm confident that we'll. Uh, I'm confident that we'll uh, we'll get to meet. But yeah, her colors are phenomenal, man. I'm I'm so stoked. Like we have we have so much cool stuff to show everyone. We have the prints. Uh, we have the postcards that we're going to show everyone. We have like a sticker pack that's going to be super cool. Uh, there's one sticker in particular that like kind of doesn't really give anything away, but it, it's it's very. My whole thing with the stickers is I want it to be stuff that's not super specific to the story right um stuff that would be cool as a sticker but it's not like hey what's that sticker oh you have to there's this indie comic that i have and it's you know it's just like a cool uh (laughs) like it looks cool visually by itself so that was like a big thing for us so um we have all that really like cool shit to show everybody and i'm super stoked about it and that's also we're trying to release this stuff gradually um as the kickstarter progresses to like maintain that that level of uh, excitement because 
I'm sure as you know, or people have told you, those middle two weeks can be a wasteland. Yeah, and that's always tough with Kickstarters. I mean, granted, I don't have to tell you that. I'm more saying that for the folks at home. And anybody who's launched one, again, talking about anxiety, I don't know how you do it because that's a month-long process. It's a roller coaster of emotions. It's a lot of up and down and, I, oh my God, we did so great today and I thought we'd do better today and oh, we're definitely going to make it now and are we going to make it and so on and so forth. I'm, I'm really excited because we have some awesome uh, stretch goals planned out that I'm not going to mention here, but I mean, obviously we'll talk about it because I'm, you know, there haven't been solidified, but right. some really, really cool stuff. Uh, the first stretch goal, I think we're pretty good with the second one we're still working on, but like they are going to be freaking awesome. I'm so stoked. Rounding out your team is Zach Som, who Zach, I got to get Zach on the show. That was work. Let's see, like Kim and Kim, Star Trek, Green Lantern, Calamity Kate. Um, of course, also a huge hockey fan, which is always great to throw out there. Right. I realized I need more hockey fans on my feed. Two things. So, yeah, number one, you could probably talk for three hours with Zach just about the stuff that he's worked on. Because, again, we're talking about prolific. Like, that dude has done so much stuff. Like, we got bios from everybody, and I was just going through all of this stuff. Like, I was looking through his feed for a while, and just like, all of the shit this kid kid has done is just amazing. Um, so, yeah, he's he's super prolific. Also, and I don't know if this is going to make it into the show or not, but we did mention Letterkenny earlier. Letterkenny is a big hockey show because it's Canadian as well. So you should definitely check it out now because it, there's a, a elements of hockey as well. Well, see, now you sold me. Like, you can see, right, just good. start with that next time, then we're great. <laughs> like, four, four people told me to watch it, and the fourth person who told me to watch it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, everyone tells me, I'll, I'll get to it. He just sat me down and showed me the first clip of, like, the first scene of the first episode, and I was absolutely hooked. There's, like, 42 episodes or 50 episodes or something, and, like, I just went through them all in, like, two weeks. <laughs> that is amazing. So I'm going to just send that to you, and I will, I will hook you that way. It's like the first one's free, you know what I mean? Right. There's so many shows that people tell me to watch that I just feel like I'm never going to. Like, I, I've had, like, five people to tell me to watch Shit's Creek. And, like, every, they're like, oh, there's these people. And I'm like, oh, I love all of them. And I just, I don't know what my mental block is. But it's like, I never, I can never see myself pushing the button on play for Shit's Creek. I'm just like, meh. And did we become best friends? Because, like, I feel like I have that same thing where tell me to watch, like, a 20, 30-minute, maybe even 45-minute TV show. I will do the absolute most in order to, like, make myself sit and watch it. It's not about it being bad or good. It's just that I have, like, this weird attention span. But tell me, oh, yeah, you want to sit down and watch, like, eight hours, like, The Lord of the Rings and, like, extended editions? I will be there. We'll probably not even take a bathroom break. But tell me to watch, like, a 10, 20-minute TV show. Suddenly, Mm -hmm. I will, like, be the most fidgety person in the world, and I hate it. Oh, okay. So I'm going to make my public apology right now on your podcast. Hey, I've never seen The Wire. And I know I'm the worst person in the world for never seeing The Wire. And yes, I know that like everybody famous today was on The Wire. I'm probably never going to watch The Wire. And I know that my existence on this planet will be poor for it. (laughs) But at this point, it's like 20 fucking years old. And it's like how many seasons and it's so many hours long. And I'm just like, I just, I don't think I have the energy. But once you start, I guarantee you, it's over for well, you. Let me put it to you, let me put it to you like this: like uh, when when my son was born, uh, and I had like you know two weeks off or like what is it, like ten days or some, something. Like I watched almost all of the Battlestar Galactica show that came out recently, right? Okay, and like it was a great experience. I enjoyed Battlestar Galactica. If I had to recommend sitting down and watching the entire, I'd be like, no, don't don't do that. 
Like, hey, listen, if you have a newborn and you can't move off the couch for hours at a time because you're holding a precious newborn life, yeah, man, hey, fucking Battlestar Galactica, yeah, that's a good way to chew up like 70 hours. Right. Right. But like, uh, if you're not in the hospital, you don't need to watch Battlestar Galactica. It's just, it's a, it's a great show, but like we've moved on. There's so much good TV. Not everyone can watch everything. My wife is a huge game of Thrones fan. I know everything I know about game of Thrones from watching her watch it. I've never seen a single episode. I'm not saying it's not great. I'm sure it's fucking amazing. Although the eighth season seems to be up for debate. I'm just not going to get around to it guys. I'm sorry. But every time I've seen an episode, I've said, you know what? This is totally my thing. Why am I not into this? But right. then when I'm not around someone who has it on, I'm like, wait, what? What's happening? Harry Potter's a perfect example. I'm sure Harry Potter's amazing. I don't know my Horcrux from a Gryffindor? <laughs> like, is that, that's a terrible one. <laughs> is on. that a thing? On. No, I got it. I got it. There's, a, there's an analogy here somewhere. No, I've got nothing. I'm sorry. I know. A, like, again, I know a little bit just because it's in pop culture, but... I just, and again, like it's, I'm sure it's amazing. I mean, it's made millions of dollars. The books are incredibly popular, but I just, I don't know. I was at a wrong period in my life. Maybe I was too old. Maybe I, I wasn't in the right group of friends, but like, I'm not, it doesn't mean it's not good. It just means that I can only experience so much culture. And some things you just miss, like as much as I could be like, oh man, you haven't seen The Wire. It's really good. I admit, cause there's a lot of things that I was supposed to have seen by now and could easily still get into, but just missed me like Game of Thrones. Could you imagine being like 65 and being retired and just having all the fucking time in the world? Like, yep, I watched all seven seasons of The Wire this week. Oh, I was wonderful. I'm so glad I finally got around to it. Up next, Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, I'm going to watch Breaking Bad again for the fifth time. I'm really raspy. I, I think I might be getting sick. Uh, but like, so it really works with my old man voice. So I'm killing it. I sound like Captain America. <laughs> like the episode that everybody... Lost her minds about where, um, gosh, I can't remember the character's name. Is it Daenerys? That is a character, yes. Um, I guess one of the season eight episodes where, like, she just, like, flame broils this entire town or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just remember watching this, like, I was at my dad's, I was back in Jersey uh, visiting family. Keep in mind, like I said, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. I have not been following, but I was like, and I heard so much about how they cut the budget and things are, like, really, like, poor as far as quality on the show. And, like, if this is poor quality, what was like the best episodes like? Because this is very well done for what was supposedly such a shit show. Just like I was really into it. And then I felt like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't say that because people are very upset about that. And maybe rightfully so. But again, I couldn't comment, but I thought it was great. Uh, yeah, everything I've seen looks really, really good. And, and again, it's important to distinguish that. It's like uh, just because I, I'm not watching it or I don't engage in it doesn't mean that I think it's inferior or I think it's bad. Right, I think that gets misconstrued a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I think all that stuff is very awesome, and and you know, and I'm and I'm happy with the fan base. I I couldn't honestly, I couldn't get through Breaking Bad either. I got I think I got like halfway through, and I'm just like ah, I just gotta I gotta switch it off. And it was great. I mean, everything was great. I just at some point I just ran out of steam. And now you know what? It's so funny because I talk about not having time to do to watch all this stuff, and like I've seen Endgame like four times in like yeah. the couple of days it's been. But like the week, yeah, the week it's been on digital, I've seen it like five times. Let's watch it again. I want to cry for a half an hour. I don't know if you had that discussion with your kid when the MCU first started. I hadn't even moved out on my own. I was still like living at home or at least the first time anyway. I was living across the country when it started. I didn't have a child either. I hadn't met Eileen. And of course, obviously not the kids. Um, I was still in Jersey. Like there, All this stuff was happening when Iron Man first came out. So now getting to Endgame 10 years later, my world's changed. You know, naturally so. That's how time works. 
And I told the kids, like, look, it's been 10 years. I've been watching these movies longer than I have known you. And, like, Eileen's daughter wasn't even born, I think, when the movies first started. But I was like, look, I'm going to be in my feelings. I'm going to cheer. I'm going to clap. I'm probably going to cry. You're going to basically see me go through every emotion. And all I ask is, basically, you just bear with me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm good. This is good. And then by the end of that movie, it was I was a, I was a mess. Oh, I cry. I mean, I cry in movies all the time. Like, I ugly cried. It was nuts. Well, yeah, I mean, I straight up ugly cried at the end of Endgame the first time I saw it. So I went to see it with my wife and a friend the first time because we wanted to see it ourselves. And the second time we took Liam and Liam was crying at the end. Like, so Liam's been around, like, he's seen the movies enough to know, like, how emotionally impactful that scene was. But yeah, I mean, I've seen Into the Spider-Verse probably 17 times. So good. I still almost cry at the scene with uh, uh, Miles' dad is talking to the door. Like, that scene just drills me. And it's so perfectly set up, and it's so perfectly executed, and I don't know the guy who plays Miles' dad, but holy shit. I mean, as far as voice acting goes, he sums up the entire character in, like, two lines. It's just the way he's... It's just great. It's good stuff. It really is, and that hit home between, like, you know, me and my dad, and just now, of course, trying to be a parent. And, like, it's wild to me that... You know, and this is why I I can't get behind that whole thing about, oh, you know, superhero movies, there, there are too many of them, and you, know, you should stop making or whatever. Because it's like that same feeling I used to get growing up reading comics and getting that similar feeling with these movies and what they've been able to convey. It's like, you can't dismiss that. And I mean, I, mean, I know it's not for everybody. Some people are very much like, you know, they're cool, but you know. Uh, and I mean, look, I get it. I would get made fun of in, in grade school for... Liking comic books, you know what I mean? Like right. I, I wasn't, I didn't have like a Mark McGuire or a Sammy Sosa jersey on and like that was, you know, cause for it. So to see it be so popular now is just like, it's, it's, it's so great. I had an Infinity Gauntlet poster on my wall that I, I got from a comic book shop when the issues were coming out. Like this has been near and dear to my heart. The one funny thing is, is when Thanos uh, 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 dies at the end of uh, Endgame, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Liam was just like, uh, dad, you like Thanos so much. Like, why are you like, you know, like, why aren't you sad that he's out? I'm like, well, cause he's a bad guy. Like I, I like him. Like he's like one of my favorite characters, but at the same time, it's like, I don't, like, I'm not cheering for him to win. Like what kind of monster do you think I am? <laughs> um, but, but, you know, there's there's something about Escalation, I think, that kind of relates to what I want to do with Tomb of the White Horse and what we're doing afterwards, what we're trying to do mechanically with the book that I want to envelop. Like, Ben and I are both huge fans of The Twilight Zone and Tales of the, from the Dark Side. Oh, hell yeah. Do you remember the Friday the 13th series? Yes. Yeah, and it was like there was like a haunted antique shop and shit like that, and it was all these kind of – it was like an anthology series. Like, they had to track down a different antique every episode. It was goofy, and I probably should not have watched it, but at the same time, um, when you're spending the night at your cousin's house, and everybody leaves you alone with the TV on, you watch what's on. <laughs> Friday the 13th, the series was my shit. But um, yeah, I mean, we so we have this love for anthology horror, but more than that, I, I didn't want to make them just for separate scary stories that have no kind of you know tether. You know, they're not they're not uh, linked to one another. So wanting to do more than that, what I decided was I, I wanted to kind of take maybe a page from uh, World War Z, where it's this sort of oral history where there it's these different voices kind of describing the same event. So that's kind of what we're doing with Tomb is like we want the following stories, the following three stories to kind of grow, like expand in scope and scale. Right. Um, you know, as they sort of reveal more about like these, you know, crazy events that I'm, I'm trying to like chronicle. The metaphor that I used, I think, to kind of sell Ben on it was like, I want to go from city to state to country to planet. 
So like this, this story is like the city sized story. And then we'll go to, you know, we'll, we'll go progressively larger until the last story is kind of this larger kind of view, but they all need to kind of exist on their own. You need to be able to pick everyone up and read it from beginning to end and not need the previous one and not necessarily need the following. one. That's a really fascinating way to kind of break that down. Well, and again, and not to lean too heavy on the thing analogy, but like this is a big earth shattering event. Like it's this discovery of alien life, but it happens to like five or six guys in a very small contained area, this huge thing. So, so I think again, like taking those themes is like, I want something cataclysmic to happen, but I want it to happen to a small audience on a smaller scale. I want the reader to leave going like, Hey, like what is beyond this? Um, you know, what, what is going to happen after these events happen? But again, still having a beginning, middle and end that is satisfying for the reader where they don't feel like, Oh, you know, I I have to wait until the second volume gets kickstarted and comes out to know what happens next. Right. Which I do want to point out though, that what you did here is also really cool because it's a standalone story, but it's also the first of a four part series, if I'm not mistaken. Right. You know, I, I don't want to speak too much about future plans because, again, everything can change. But, yeah, this will be the first of what will hopefully be four separate stories. And it's, you know, they're they're a little oversized. You know, uh, Tomb of the White Horse is going to come in at 36 pages. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily a double-sized issue, but it is longer than a single issue. And, yeah, and also it was important to me to include uh, shipping. And one of the nice things about that was Ben being on the other side of the pond, as they say. It was nice that like, so we can offer free shipping to the US and to the UK. And we just, we baked that cost into the price of the book um, because I wanted people to feel like, hey, like you're pledging $10 to get a physical copy of the book. It's $10. It's not $10 plus shipping. So it's just a nice, easy round number for people. And I, I hope that that kind of uh, compels them to uh, to back that book. I hope everybody goes out and backs and supports it. Not just because I said so, but also just Ian's a great guy. And this is a fantastic group of people working on this. I'm the Scott Lang of comics, guys. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So in other words, after the snaps happen, you just kind of show up like, hey, um, how's everybody? I'm like, um. (laughs) I promise not to become giant and destroy Twins Pub at New York Comic Con this year. You have my solemn oath. It's okay to go. Not a danger to anybody. Um. Well, no, but I think one of those things is, is that, you know, yeah. And I mean, that has a lot to do about passion, right? Because I think that as my passion for creating comics and being in the comics community grows, so does my passion for seeing other people's stuff and supporting other people's stuff. Um, You know, because it's great. Like, uh, you know, it's crazy to me that where my comics budget goes nowadays, I used to get a ton of DC books and a ton of Marvel books, and now I'm super selective in what I get from the the big publishers, even Image to a certain degree. I mean, there's obviously a ton of great books coming out on Image, but um, I find myself moving more obviously to smaller publishers, uh, up and coming publishers, and then also just going to indie stuff on Kickstarter. There's just a lot of really great stuff out there. There's so many good Kickstarters that I've already backed, and there's so many good Kickstarters that like I need to get paid on Friday so that I can back comfortably. It's a really great time. We have a huge explosion of talent and uh, and it's, you know, for, for things like Kickstarter. Also, hey, real quick, as a side note, if I can just take another opportunity to like uh, express my gratitude and my, and how impressed I am by Danny Lore. Oh, shout out to Danny again. They're amazing. Fantastic. When I got my notes back from Danny, 
they were so good. Like I rewrote a 36 page script in 48 hours. Wow. Yeah. I, I had a conversation with Ben. I think we spoke for about an hour about how we wanted to change the beats. And I had just like a serial killer level amount of notes on my whiteboard uh, for what we were going to do. And then I literally just, I had, I had two days off. Oh no, actually I was between jobs at the time. So I had nothing to, you know, I, I had no responsibilities other than being a, a father, a husband and a human being. And like just locked myself down here and consumed insane amounts of caffeine and, literally rewrote the script and that and that's i I say that also just because like yeah you're right it absolutely is hard work and and passion is really important but also just like hey man get yourself a good editor like get someone who's going to be able to tell you in the best way what your story's lacking i am like eternally grateful to danny i mean I, i mean everyone on the team is absolutely amazing and i can't say enough stuff about them but man i mean you want to talk about getting some experience points and leveling it up like danny laura is where it's at i'm so stoked for queen of bad dreams and all the good response it's getting and i'm so incredibly excited to read james bond i just i can't say enough and i mean obviously like I, like give me an opportunity adrian and i'll just gush about ben for an hour and <laughs> leslie and zach and tony keaton and everyone who's backed the book and everyone whose books i've backed like that have just inspired me and pushed me on but but listen, I'll start crying if I do that because I like these guys so much. But see, so. I think that's why I now the more I think about it, the Scott Lang analogy works is because, you know, here's someone who, like a lot of people, you know, you may not realize, like, you know what, they work just as hard and as struggle at times, but there's an energy around them that like, you know, is almost infectious. Like, yes, even like with Endgame, this is worst case scenario. And here's a guy who's been pretty much stuck. <laughs> in like this other dimension for like the better half of five years at least in our minds but yet comes back and is still just so hopelessly optimistic it <laughs> but you can't help but get behind that i'm gonna take you out and buy you a steak dinner adrian you have to stop saying all these really nice things about me um <laughs> and i'm not bullshitting either but it's like at first i was just saying but you know what i think it really does apply and that's what I love is that passion, that excitement. And like I say all the time, if you're not excited about the things you create, then what's the point in doing them? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you have to be passionate. And and there's and there's a lot to this whole thing that I'm learning day by day. Like I feel like I'm getting good at creating comics and the skill set I need to develop now is selling comics. And you, you can't value one over the other. If you value one over the other, like if you're if you're trying to make a name for yourself and you can't sell your comic, you're going to have a problem. And if all you try to do is sell your comic and not worry about making a good comic, you know, if you're just trying to sell the product and not worry about what the product is, you're going to have an even harder time. Right. But it's it's they're two separate skill sets, you know, and uh, it's it's not easy. And I am learning every day how stupid I am and how much more I have to learn. No, that's a good thing, because it would be weird if you're just like, yeah, well, I figured everything out. I'm good. That's that's not going to work out. <laughs> you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> Did anyone ever tell you, because literally someone specifically told me that raising kids, and I'm quoting here, raising a kid was, quote, no big deal. And I'm like, you, what? oh, you suck at this then. <laughs> like, if you think raising kids is easy, you are, fuck. I, I don't want to make a judgment. You're fucking it up so bad. <laughs> it is the, the hardest thing you're ever going to do is try to turn a human being into not an asshole. Yeah. Maybe I'm simplifying too much. Baseline, not an asshole. Go up from there. But, but baseline is like, hey, did did you is your kid an asshole? No. Okay, well, at least you got that far. Believe me, that's that's a big step. Not being an asshole is a, a very big step when it comes to humanity. <laughs> How many assholes we got on this ship? <laughs> My kids are probably waking up like, what the hell is that man cackling about now?
I'm really sorry if I'm going too. <laughs> no, loud. I'm just joking. I'm just I'm just loud and obnoxious. <laughs> Uh, oh, Ian, I know it took us a while, and I'm so glad that we're able to sit down and have this chat. As always, before you go, let everybody know where they can find where about you online, um, where they can find a Kickstarter, and anything else you want to plug before we head out. Find me on Twitter, at Ian underscore face. Find the incredible artist for Tomb of the White Horse, uh, Benjamin A. Philby, uh, at B-A-E Philby on Twitter. Uh, Leslie Lansky is L-A-L-A-T Lansky. Zach Sam is Zach Sam. Uh, all on Twitter. Uh, please go to tombcomic.com to get to the Kickstarter page for Tomb of the White Horse. Um, also, you can just search Kickstarter for Tomb of the White Horse. I think Tomb will probably get you there as well. You know, once again, it's a, it's a 36-page full-color horror comic. It's uh, $10 to get a physical copy. That's where we start. And uh, we want to have it in your hands by Halloween so you can be like all spooked out by it during the spooky season. Very cool. Check that out. So to anybody who we mentioned as far as the Avengers, I want to get this conversation started. And we're probably going to cause uh, quite a stir, but that's okay. I'm ready for it. Well, we're going to forget some people, and that's going to be accidentally hurtful. But we've got Iron Man, got Ant-Man, got Captain America, got Nick Fury. Well, I was thinking what we could do just to make it a little bit more like open and interactive is we should have just comic creators figure out, okay, who would like if they were an Avenger? I think that's definitely a way to do it. Hero or villain? There you go. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, hold on. Now I have to. Uh, no, no, I, no, I'm good with Scott Lang. There's, there's no <laughs> villain I want to be. Sometimes maybe I feel like Kang the Conqueror. Not in terms of Conqueror. I just feel like I'm out of time. That was pretentious. Never no, mind. that was badass. We're keeping that. I feel like an I feel like I'm an old soul. I'll get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Stop. I just feel like I'd be better in Victorian times. Oh, you mean with polio? Cool. <laughs> Listen, just wear an ascot. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Thank you for listening to Adrian. I know. Just... Ma- <laughs> I, I know, can't even end the show. Like- Wait, wait, wait. I, let me just say this. I, I feel like I'm a futurist. I feel like I'm always looking like how much cooler the future is going to be than what we have now. So maybe that's why I'm Kang. It's definitely not because I feel, what did I say? Out of time. Fuck that. That's easily the most pretentious thing I've ever said. Thanks for getting it down on recording and memorializing it for life. Own it. I thought that was pretty awesome. I got to get a bunch of green and purple fabric now to make a costume for New York. I'm the Scott Lang of comics. There, I'm saying it. I'm cementing it. Good night, everybody. Bye. For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.